My fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wallet. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at river.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. My fellow plebs, today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of FedWatch. My name is Anson Lindner. I'm here with my co-host, CK. CK, holding it down What is up, everyone? Chilly Nashville. How are you doing? It is cold. How's Florida? It was a little foggy and chilly this morning here, too, but it's warmed up already, so it's yep, nice. Yeah, t-shirt weather, I assume. Yep, t-shirt. I could, I could get away with sandals, for sure. Man, Shorts it, is, it is cold and dangerous. It's kind of icy out. Like, when you walk around, you see, like, twigs that are, like, enveloped in ice. But just yesterday morning, I was walking down my outside stairs, and I almost wiped out on the steps. So that's super, super icy, super, super dangerous. I hope everyone, you know, across the globe, wherever it's cold, you know, staying safe out there. There's a lot of cold temperatures, even in some areas that doesn't usually get very cold. Yeah, you guys are in that freezing rain band that kind of goes across the middle of the country where you don't get much snow, but you get quite a bit of ice. Oh, yeah. No, I, you know, as a as a new Tennessean, it's something you got to watch out for, for sure. But speaking of watching out, FedWatch, we are here to watch out for what central banker malarkey, you know, what craziness they're up to and make sure that our listeners are up to date with everything that's happening in macro and taking into account Bitcoin, which is, in our opinion, the most important up and coming force within macro is Bitcoin. And that's something that most macro shows have yet to concede. You know, they still think Bitcoin is this toy thing, whereas Bitcoin is very, very serious and we take it very seriously here along with all other macro at FedWatch. Oh, yeah, you've been starting to hear that from a lot of people. I, I saw a finance minister in recently saying that, you know, Bitcoin has the opportunity to really upend the system. Of course, the ECB thinks that Bitcoin is the devil. They, 
they all hate Bitcoin because they know the threat that Bitcoin poses, but they haven't quite admitted that to the world yet. Well, you know, everyone out here watching us live, thank you so much for joining. If you're listening on podcasts, you can listen to this podcast live every every Thursday. We come at 1230 Eastern and we talk macro and we also are all going to be in Miami May 18th through the 20th. I can't wait to see Ansel in person again. We were just reminiscing on the last time that we hung out at Bitcoin Day Nashville and excited to get back together with Bitcoiners at Bitcoin 2023 in Miami Beach. Ticket prices are going up next week. So we got a lot of big announcements coming. There's going to be a lot of FOMO. Don't get caught in the FOMO. Don't get yeah. caught in the late last minute expensive tickets and travel costs. Get all that stuff taken care of right now. 105 days to go. It is going to be an absolutely wild event. A lot of the speakers are already starting to get announced and starting to get really hyped for it. Thousands and thousands of Bitcoiners are coming together. So make sure to use promo code BMLIVE. Save 10% on your ticket. Make sure to get your ticket before next Friday when ticket prices do get up. Yeah, I can't wait to meet all of y'all there. Ansel, any housekeeping for you, sir? Yeah, we got to get a Bitcoin and Markets, the, the tag at the end. You know, the code, the coupon code for oh, Bitcoin yeah, and Markets. Absolutely. Anyways, uh, we'll get you hooked up. You got you to gotta get all of your following, the the most up-to-date Bitcoiners in the industry listen to Ansel Linder. So we got to make sure that they all come meet up with Ansel at the Bitcoin conference. Oh, yeah. My telegram, t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets, full of insightful people. Lots of conversation going on over there. So check that out. I do a live stream pretty much every day on the telegram also on my youtube channel my brand new youtube channel is btc market update we're back uh, <laughs> yeah we're back baby so anyway for those guys listening to this um, on podcast version you should be able to find all the associated charts on bitcoinandmarkets.com i'll put a post to make sure all those charts get there for you guys to follow along and if you're watching live like and subscribe tick the bell you know share the content out there trying to grow fedwatch and get people this skeptical, contrarian information. I mean, all models are wrong. All models are wrong. And we are looking at this, trying to figure out, taking pieces out of different models, what works, what best describes the data, our observations out there. So that's kind of how I approach this Bitcoin and how I approach macro. So that's all my plugs. Are we ready to jump into the stuff? Well, what are we talking about today? Let's do that first. Well, yeah, why don't you run through the, the agenda here? Okay, so of course, FOMC day was yesterday. So Powell came out and said they're raising interest rates. So we're going to watch a few clips of him doing that. And then we're going to talk about what exactly happened. Look at some charts, how the market reacted. The ECB came out today, this morning, as, long, as well as the Bank of England. So we're going to take a look at what their policy was. And of course, that's like where we like to start every show to keep us grounded in Bitcoin. So let's go and do that first. Let's bring up slide number one, please. Well, hey, before we yeah, jump into up? the Bitcoin price, I know you, you have a bunch of gloating to do because you have been right about the price. But I'm curious, have you been <laughs> following what's happening kind of at the ancillaries of Bitcoin in, in Nosterland as well as what's happening on chain with Bitcoin NFTs and ordinals? Have you been paying attention to any of that stuff, Ansel? Yeah, I've been paying attention to ordinals, talking about that a little bit on my live streams and with the guys over there on Telegram. Not so much with, what was the first thing you said? Noster. Noster, the, no, uh, not so much with Noster. The decentralized social media protocol built by Bitcoiners. Well, I, 
I've listened to a, a few podcasts about it and see all the posts on Twitter, but no, I have not gone and downloaded whatever I need to download. Is it just an app on your computer? Oh man, it's awesome. I don't even know. So pretty much, so you either download an app on your phone. There's there's a couple of clients that are available on Android. There's one client that's available on iOS, or there's a few options that you can just open up a web page. And there's a bunch of different ways to generate a private key and a public key. And then once you have that, that's how you sign in with your private key and uh, and that's it and you can import your identity anywhere and it's all rss based so you know effectively you know I'm, I'm not an expert but long story short you know we have working social media you know kind of twitter-esque clones built on a very very simple protocol and it is absolutely blowing snowden is excited about it jack dorsey's excited about it bitcoiners are thriving in there and I would recommend anyone who's listening to the show who's yet to jump on Noster, do a little bit of research. BTC Sessions has done like a complete 101 video and just jump in there. And it is really, really exciting to just see where this early social media is kind of idea is kind of going and how much quick, how much more quickly it iterates than something like a Twitter or something like any of these other social medias. And the experience is awesome, man. It's cool. And the best part about it is Bitcoin is built into its fiber, which means that, you know, you can pay and receive sats within it already. It's already kind of built into it and it interoperates with the Lightning Network. Very exciting stuff. Yeah, I'm probably going to be a late adopter of that because I, I force myself to use Twitter. I don't even use the social media out there. I haven't been on social media in a long time, but or at least heavily. So and but you are you are the guy on this show that keeps us up to date with all of the cutting edge stuff going on in Bitcoin and in Bitcoin culture. I'm kind of head down in the FOMC minutes and that that kind no, of totally. character. Oh, and hey, <laughs> you, you, you bring the important information out here. So yeah, you, you wanted to jump into uh, into the Bitcoin chart. So yep. let's do that right now. One second. Sorry, we are missing our dear producer, Chris, who does an incredible job. And I'm just trying to I'm just trying to do okay in his in his shadow, but oh, yeah. we got the Bitcoin price up here. Ansel, I'll shut up and uh, walk us through what you're saying. Well, I have a few charts here just to kind of go through. I didn't want to put everything on one chart because then it gets pretty crazy, but you can see that we passed the FTX high. That That's kind of old news now. We are approaching some of these other highs that we had back from the summer, last summer, and that's providing a little resistance and we're slowly marching upwards towards it. If you go to the next slide, you can see there is some pressure building. And this is, we hit very, very high on the daily RSI 89, which is pretty hard to beat. It's, you know, ties, it's one of the top three daily RSIs in the last four or five years for Bitcoin. And so that provides this kind of overhead resistance that limits any upside. But the, the pressure is definitely towards the upside and you can see we're slowly drifting up. I do expect some sort of a reset on this RSI to give us more room to go higher. So that's what I've been talking to my guys, what I've been putting on my newsletter that I do expect some consolidation in the near term, but then overall higher highs. Any comments on this or I have a couple more Bitcoin charts. 
Well, all I can say is that, you know, my very elementary TA analysis is, you know, I'm just looking at that chart and you can see the pressure forming. It is a tight, tight pattern moving upwards. So that's exciting. And yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like, you know, we're due for a little bit of a correction. You know, Bitcoin takes the way of most pain. But, you know, just like you said, if you get technical, you look at the RS, you know, maybe a little bit of relief there leads to a more more higher prices down the line. I personally think price is always earned too. So when we yeah. reclaim a price too quickly, you got to think that, you know, there has to be some pain elsewhere. We have to earn it. Exactly. And it, this, a little bit of a pullback here will give the bears an opportunity to load up their shorts some more that, so we can squeeze them going up. So I think this is a very logical, it's, it's almost ideal pattern here. If we follow this this arrow over the next week or so. If you go to the next chart, I put on the, the moving averages, your favorite 200 day moving average is on there in yellow. And then in the green is the 50 day. And you can see we're very quickly approaching a golden cross. That would also match up a lot of times the golden crosses like this, both golden and bear the death cross, they attract the price very short term, but they do signal that this it's turning this way. So that is, would also play into like a short-term correction for a week or so and then going higher now it gets a little bit dicey when we go into the weekly charts and if you pull up the next one this is a weekly chart with these same moving averages the 200 week and the 50 week that's pretty scary right there <laughs> i mean not that it's going to kill bitcoin or anything but this is the first death cross on the weekly chart in bitcoin's history if you go to the next slide we did get close to a death cross back in 2015, but this will be the first one in Bitcoin's history if we get a death cross, which we most definitely will in the next couple of weeks. So that's my Bitcoin charts. Any reaction to the weekly here, CK? So I guess, can you talk through what the price scenario would need to look like for that 200 day to, to pull up and stay above the 50 or the 200 week to pull up and stay above the 50 week? If if we get, well, if the 200 week ends up above the 50 week, oh, sorry, that would be price one. falling. Yeah. But if, if we, if, yeah, oh the man. 50 week, how to stay, how to, like, what would, what would need to happen? All time highs. It would take all time highs pretty much in the next couple of weeks to prevent a death cross on the weekly but you can see like i said when these things cross it tends to attract the price and so that's what we've seen over the last couple weeks i mean it's been surprising we've gone up what 40 50 percent this in the last month if we go up another 100 percent in the next month it still won't avoid the death cross but it will look very you know kind of us what, what's the word i'm looking for it will temper people's fears about this this death cross some people in the chat are asking, what is the name of your YouTube channel again, Ansel? People want to know more. Yeah, BTC Market Update. That's the new one. I do that. I live stream on there every day pretty much. So check it out. And then what I do is I go back and take out a lot of the pauses and the ums from my live stream and I put it out as a podcast version. So you can find, find the podcast video as well as the live stream video on the new YouTube channel. Hey, I love I love the podcast version. That's what I listen to. Ansel, are you on podcasting 2.0 with your podcast feed? Are you yeah, on I'm Fountain? On, yeah, I'm on Fountain. So is FedWatch, right? Or is FedWatch? Yeah. No Fed, FedWatch and the Bitcoin Magazine podcast are both on there. Yeah. Okay. So you can tip us sats. I encourage you tip Ansel some sats. 
boost send it. The, send them the ads. Give them the boosts. Yeah, uh, I don't the know. App is a great is a great platform. I'll have to get with somebody that knows a little bit more on this because I think there's two feeds for some reason on my podcast. There's two Bitcoin and markets on Fountain, and some people were saying they couldn't boost one of them, but they could boost the other one. I don't know. So. All right. What are I we looking at next? <laughs> okay. What are we got looking at next? Hey, things are looking bullish unless you zoom really far out, and then yes. it's looking historically scary. That's what the the analysis looks like. Are we past the point where industry news, industry happenings can affect the price, Ansel? I know that's been a debate on the show. Oh well, I think news can short term affect the price, but it doesn't change the long term trend. So. You know, we had a, bunch, a real bad 2022. I think we're going to have a real good 2023. There's not really any bearish news that can stop that. Short-term price fluctuations, of course, but long-term on the weekly chart or the monthly chart, you're probably just going to see up, up, up this year. That's my prediction for Bitcoin. All right. Up, up, up. Are we hitting another chart? What do we move Yeah, yeah. So let's go to number six. That is the S&P 500. And... A lot of talk, you know, there's a lot of talk about correlation with Bitcoin and it has been extremely, I mean, this has hurt me to admit, CK. I, I didn't want to say <laughs> that Bitcoin was correlated to anything, but man, over the last 18 months or so, it has been very tightly correlated with the stock market. So you got to go with what you're observing and th this is the correlation right now. And you can see that the S&P 500 is having its own golden cross it is breaking its own resistance and it's going higher despite all the calls for recession recession everywhere everyone's talking about a hard landing just recently i have heard some people start talking about a soft landing but stocks are not even signaling recession so that's what i have for the s p 500 next chart is the dollar and i am waiting for this to bounce i think that it's not going to fall off a cliff here and it did have a nice little bounce over this morning. So it did fall with Powell's comments yesterday, but it has bounced today. And in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's right at the level where it was at the COVID high. So if you remember, I don't have a chart of this, but right when, you know, the COVID crash happened, the dollar spiked. And that was pretty much right at this level where we're at. Then only then did the dollar fall for about a year. And then it turned around, bottomed, and we had the big dollar wrecking ball on the way up. So this is historically still a high level for the dollar. It's just not what I expected. I expected it to stay, you know, up there at 104 or higher, but it has not done that. So I'm watching this very, very closely. If you want to get daily updates or even a couple times a day, go to the telegram t.me for slash Bitcoin and markets. And, and I talk about the dollar constantly. And the last chart that I have CK before I get your reaction to these charts is the, your favorite, I think, or one of your favorite favorites. And that is the yields here. And the stair step is the fed funds target range. I put in a couple of lines to show the new one that, that they just raised yesterday. Oh, and I forgot to add the labels for the five-year. The five-year is in blue and the teal is the two-year. So you can see they don't even care what the Fed is doing. They're dipping even as the Fed is raising. So who is in control? I think it's the market and it's not the Fed. But we, we will discuss that in more detail when we listen to Powell. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. 
Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. We have 160 something people watching live right now. If you were to kind of just tease out thesis around that, the reason I like this chart is because I'm stupid and this chart is dead obvious exactly what's happening. So why don't you kind of explain what people are looking at here and why this is so critical to your overall thesis, which the show follows very closely, which is that the Fed is actually not in charge. The Fed doesn't money print. The Fed actually can't do anything in the economy other than try to influence and psychologically manipulate. Yes, exactly. That's what they do is they do forward guidance and expectation management. You can see kind of on the left side of the chart, if you zoomed out, you would see that the rates were high and the Fed just raised underneath the rates what they were already doing. They are, they are self-described. They are data dependent. That means they follow what's happening in the marketplace. Now they've raised and the 10 year and the five year and the two year, all these didn't obey the Fed because the Fed really isn't in charge. The Fed has now tapered and it's going to, I, I call this a pivot. I don't know where people got the idea that a pivot had to be 180 degrees. You know, any change in angle, any change in direction it in my mind is a pivot and so this has been a pivot for the fed and yeah they're not in not in charge you can't look at this chart and if you thought the fed was in charge you would see these lines staying above the target range but they're not doing that they don't even care what the fed is doing it's got one thing on its mind and it wants to go lower rates now i'll tie this in with the interest rate fallacy so some people think that, you know, the Fed lowers rates and that's stimulatory because people can afford to borrow more. Think of the affordability of a house. As the interest rate goes down, you, the monthly payments come down, right? And so you can afford a larger house for the same monthly payment. So people think that lower rates are stimulatory. They are in the case of a house, but not in the case of the entire economy. What, the, what lower rates is signaling is that money is tight, that the banks don't want to lend. They'll only lend to the most creditworthy people out there. The tighter and tighter that money gets, the lower and lower rates go. Only then, you know, there has to be some change in the economy that loosens up money, that gets people growing, that gets people kind of excited. And as they do that, as growth returns, then interest rates follow. People get confused on that because it's you know a sine wave and people just have the cart before the horse they think that low rates lead to recovery but really it's the bad times that leads to low rates so it's just like one step in the cycle ahead of what is really happening i hope that makes sense but that's kind of how i would describe this maybe i confused people more <laughs> oh you're muted it is helpful. And I think that it's really key. You know, if you look here at the left of the chart, the rates are going up 
completely independently outside of the Fed starting to increase rates. So the rates started going up before the Fed changed policies. And then now, like just like you're saying, rates are going down. You see the, the, the Fed is continuing to, to stair set up. And I know that we're going to go into, you know, Chairman Powell's specific comments, but there is no connection here, right? Like these things, you know, these rates are doing what they're doing and it has nothing to do with what the Fed is saying. Yeah, the, the only connection, like there's no mechanical connection. And I like to use that word that there's no mechanical way that the Fed is affecting interest rates. The only way they affect interest rates is through psychological operations, you know, the, the psyops on the market. And we'll see that as we listen to Powell and as we read through some of the ECB stuff, it's very carefully, it's very careful messaging, you know, exactly what they want you to think that is coming in the future. That's very, very important. And that's really monetary policy. So when we watch Powell talk here in his little speech, that that is the monetary policy. It's not raising rates. It's how he talks to the public. So, all right, are we ready then to get into Powell? Yeah, let's do it. So we're doing the first part of the clip and then you're going to stop me. Well, let's go over. I want to set this up a little bit. Yeah, so back, give, yeah back. give us the setup. I, I, I got the video pulled up. We're ready to go. All right. So back to the slides, actually, if we can go back to slide number nine. And that is the FOMC came out yesterday at two o'clock. They release their press release of what they're actually going to do, what their decision has been. Next slide. And then at 2.30, Powell comes out and does a press conference and takes questions and stuff. Um, they have raised, let's see, what do I have? If you go to the next slide, I'll just read through some of their written statement here. So in re recent indicators point to modest growth in spending and production. Job gains have been robust in recent months and the unemployment rate has remained low. Inflation has eased somewhat, but remains elevated. And now the points that I highlighted here is the job gains have been robust. That is mixed, okay? Even the official surveys, there's two official surveys, they are in disagreement. And then just this morning, I saw a post from Andreas Steno. We're gonna go through something that he found that the BLS that does the establishment survey, they have put out some new data that contradicts their data that they already have out. So it's like, we don't know. Job, the job market is an unknown so far, I think, in the United States. And then, of course, inflation. I've hammered this home so many times here on the show that what what inflation are they looking at? Uh, are they looking at three-month CPI? Are they looking at maybe six-month annualized? Both of those are under 2%. You have to go out to the year-over-year -year to find inflation numbers that are quote-unquote elevated. So anyway, that's what I would have to say about this one. If we go to the next... Next slide. The committee seeks to achieve maximum employment and inflation at a rate of 2% over the longer run. That is also kind of a, a change. I mean, that's not a change meeting to meeting, but they have tweaked their goals over the last few years. So if you go back and you look at the Fed, maybe I would say pre-2019, their goal was 2%. They would not fight inflation if it was under 2%, you know, trying to raise it to 2%. They would only fight it if it was over 2% by raising rates. Then they switched to symmetric 2% targeting. So they would fight it on both sides of 2%, really trying to hone in 
on that 2% level. And then now they're targeting 2% over the longer run. So if you remember, they talked about overshooting, overshooting their target for a period to get an average of 2% over a certain period of time. So I just wanted to point that out, but continuing here. In support of these goals, the committee decided to raise the target range for the federal funds rate to four and a half to four and three quarters percent. The committee anticipates that ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. And that second part is what the market thought was initially interpreted bearishly, ongoing increases, ongoing increases. So that doesn't, that means that after this meeting, they're going to have ongoing increases. Not that what most people think is this is the last one. This, this one was 25 and now they're done. So that language was initially interpreted as bearish. However, if you go to the next slide, CK, I'm, this is a long setup for these, these clips. Um, this was a story out this morning and you can just see from the headline here, the more he talked, the more dovish he was. And reading from this, summarizing yesterday's market moving FOMC decision and presser, Goldman, that's Goldman Sachs, said that even though the quote FOMC statement was hawkish, they kept ongoing and appropriate. However, quote, more importantly, the presser, presser was dovish. One, Powell's disinflation language, quote, we can say the disinflation process has started, end quote. Something that's, quote, welcome, encouraging, and gratifying, end quote. And number two, the fact Powell didn't warn markets regarding easing financial conditions in the last few weeks. In knee-jerk reaction, bears everywhere were steamrolled as Powell triggered a market-wide short squeeze. So it was initially seen as bearish, and then he started talking, and it got dovish after that. Okay, so this was a long lead-up, CK. Let's watch a couple clips from the press conference, please. All right, we got to mute ourselves. All right. I'm going to start it right now. Good afternoon and welcome. My colleagues and I understand the hardship that high inflation is causing, and we are strongly committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal. Over the past year, we've taken forceful actions to tighten the stance of monetary policy. We've covered a lot of ground, and the full effects of our rapid tightening so far are yet to be felt. Even so, we have more work to do. Price stability is the responsibility of the Federal Reserve and serves as the bedrock of our economy. Without price stability, the economy does not work for anyone. Okay, so on that clip, I just wanted to pull this out and get your take on it, CK. And that is stable prices. Stable prices, stable prices. That's what he hammers home constantly. But isn't there an easy way to get stable prices? Can't they just set prices? And do we, do we even want stable prices? You know, we want prices to fluctuate. We want prices to go up and down. So what's your take on that they're constantly talking about stable prices and they're kind of using this as a crutch? I mean, I think that the foundation of central banking today is is built on this crutch that 
we are the only ones that can maintain a money that is stable and that equals stable prices. When in reality, what you, at least what the Austrians would say is that you want a money that reflects reality, right? And, and that is, is more one, it, it, it's more useful, but two, it's actually something that's attainable because you'll never have stable prices because you know, the, the price of coffee from a certain region is affected by many different things outside of like, is your currency stable? And, you know, those are things that you talk about a lot, which is, you know, civility, trade, you know, common language, you know, lots of things Trust. that can kind of put into, you know, whether prices are stable, high, low, efficient, whatever. So it, it is a little bit of, it kind of just shows the the negative kind of like the incorrect thinking that is going to drive them to continue to you know make incorrect decisions so i mean th that that'd be my my you know main comment there and that's my main gripe with bitcoiners i think fall for this too as well as they say you know prices are going up inflation rather than trying to diagnose like what is happening in the economy what could be causing prices to go up rather than just trying to you know, label it something. What do you think? Yeah, well, the things that causes price movements, at least general, I would say general like trends, because yeah, one of my things is that I think we're going to get a wholesale shift in kind of the price structure of the economy. As we go away from globalization, you know, we supply chains are shifted all around the world that the price structure within an economy is going to shift. Now, if you're fighting that shift in price structure, now that's a completely different thing than if you're fighting like a short-term price spike or something like that. And and the underlying economy isn't really going to change very much. But yeah, that's, that's what I thought when you were talking and when Powell was talking there about stable prices too. I mean, they could just set prices if they wanted it stable, but also they're fighting this just shift the 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 overarching shift in the global economy that's happening and prices will move so i mean if we do go from a singular polar globalized world to a multipolar and more localized world it will have to shift and yeah. when you look at like these central bankers fighting that natural shift that's happening regardless they can only make things worse there's no way that they can actually help in in expediating that alleviating that making it easier addressing some of the real symptoms of that it's, it's kind of like seeing the economy being crushed and then raising rates in the face of that uh, mm -hmm. it, it can only like even even if it actually worked it can't actually make things better well yeah that makes me think too about davos versus the fed right davos wants to have a wholesale shift in the price structure of the economy too by attacking fossil fuels and stuff. The Fed doesn't want that. The Fed is almost like the status quo keeper here. They're trying to keep the status quo the way it is. I don't think they're going to be successful, but I don't think Davos is going to be successful either. So there's two kinds of shifts here that the Fed is going to be on the wrong side of. But anyways, let's go to the next clip, but actually let's skip the second one and go right to the third clip if we can do that because this second one's a little bit redundant.
Yeah, there we go. Returning inflation to our 2% objective. At today's meeting, the committee raised the target range for the federal funds rate by 25 basis points, bringing the target range to four and a half to four and three quarters percent. And we are continuing the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet. With today's action, we have raised interest rates by four and a half percentage points over the past year. We continue to anticipate that ongoing increases in the target range for the federal funds rate will be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. We are seeing the effects of our policy actions on demand in the most interest sensitive sectors of the economy, particularly housing. It will take time, however, for the full effects of monetary restraint to be realized, especially on inflation. In light of the cumulative tightening of monetary policy and the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, the committee decided to raise interest rates by 25 basis points today, continuing the step down from last year's rapid pace of increases. Shifting to a slower pace will better allow the committee to assess the economy's progress toward our goals as we determine the extent of future increases that will be required to attain a sufficiently restrictive stance. We will continue to make our decisions meeting by meeting, take into a, taking into account the totality of incoming data and their implications for the outlook for economic activity and inflation. We have been taking forceful steps to moderate demand so that it comes into better alignment with supply. Our overarching focus is using our tools to bring inflation back down to our 2% goal and to keep longer-term inflation expectations well anchored. Reducing inflation is likely to require a period of below-trend growth and some softening of labor market conditions. Restoring price stability is essential to set the stage for achieving maximum employment and stable prices over the longer run. The historical record cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy. We will stay the course until the job is done. We will stay the course until the job is done. I wanted to make sure that little bit got in there because that's their new mantra that they are using. But you can see there that he detailed out exactly what they have done. And one thing that I've been saying over the last couple of weeks is it, if I didn't know any better, I would think that the Fed actually did a good job here. They raised, started raising slowly, then they raised quickly, then they're kind of easing off. And it's this nice little S curve of rate hikes. But uh, I don't think, obviously they don't know what they're doing. They're just following the market. And I think this was a misstep. They probably are going to be behind the eight ball now. And as the market, if the market, there is some sort of liquidity crisis, they might look dumb that they raised this last time and that they're talking about ongoing increases. It's very, it's a very delicate balance that they have to walk here between signaling really hawkish and then how do they pivot away from signaling really hawkishly. So any thoughts on that? And then I, I do have something to talk about with this ongoing increases. No, nothing super, you know, insightful to add other than the fact that with all of these central bankers, even if they're doing something that looks good in the moment, they're bound to make a mistake. And I think that, you know, talking about the Bitcoin and markets podcast, you know, on your one, I think it was two shows ago, you're talking about the Fed's decision making versus the most liquid market in the world, the treasury yeah. market and and all the participants in there and how they are just like the chart that we showed that are going in different directions. 
And it's only a matter of time that the Fed looks like the weaker and dumber and less in control entity out of both of them. So, you know, Great we point. generally choose the market here. I think it's your point. And like you said, I, you, your prediction might be wrong. They might continue to, you know, make it to next quarter and raise the rates again. But, um, you know, it just doesn't seem like uh, it, it seems like at some point they're, they're going to have egg on their face. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to bring this into the why would they say ongoing when the market is pricing in? Basically, this was the last rate hike and other central banks have also signaled that. So the Canadian central bank that typically is in lockstep with the Fed, they just are about two weeks ahead on their meetings, but they are usually in lockstep with the Fed. They came out and said this is probably the last hike. The Bank of England, which we'll get to here in a second, they said this is probably the last hike. The ECB signaled, well, I don't want to spoil the next story, but the ECB did signal that this was going to be their second to last hike, that they probably have one more. Yet the FOM, the Fed is out here on a, you know, by itself on a limb saying we're going to have ongoing. Now, my, my conclusion of this is that how do you get the want the wanted reaction from the market so they want to raise 25 basis points they think that's the proper amount but if they say hey we're done now i think this is the last one what's the market going to do the market's going to explode higher it's going to rally and that 25 basis point hike isn't going to be worth anything so i think to ensure kind of what do they call this monetary policy transmission the transmission of the monetary policy to ensure that i think they put in that ongoing. So it might sound hawkish, but it was actually dovish. And that's what we have from Powell. As he keeps speaking at the press conference, he gets more and more dovish. So Man, really, really I love reading the Fed. I, I love reading the tea leaves uh, between every word that he's saying. You know, I'm yeah. glad that his suits are consistent, so we don't read too much into that. But, you know, <laughs> zooming out, this is why we Bitcoin. This is why we need to get away yeah. from this because... Who cares if he's hawkish or dovish or whatever, you know, get the fuck out the way and let the economy go. So, you know, that would be my take. Absolutely. Okay, let's go to the next slide that I have here. And this, I just wanted to show this because he talked about there that jobs have been robust. And this is a chart from Andreas Stenos where he's talking about the BLS is contradicting themselves. So you can see the black line is this business employment dynamics survey that they come out with from the bls but then also the non-farms payroll that the bls comes out with you can see that it's not agreeing and it's actually the 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 business employment dynamics has shown that we actually contracted in 2022 so the there is disagreement on all of these official statistics now this is different than cpi okay cpi and pce the two big price indices that the government uses, they are in pretty much agreement. So it would be as if the CPI was saying 9% and the PCE was actually saying negative. That's what this, at, at, from the same agency. I mean, this is, but they're both from the BLS. So what's going on with jobs? We don't know. There is a lot of confusion in the market about jobs. And then if we go to the next slide, CK, we can wrap up the Fed. And that is the what the market is pricing in. So you can see the market is pricing in by the end of this year, 1.75% cut to the Fed funds. 
And I just also want to note, where does this really start to dive? It starts to dive in the second half of uh, Q2, right? And, or sorry, yeah, right at the turn of the, the turn of the year from first half to second half. So in Q3, and Q3 is where one place that I constantly am trying to get people to focus. Because if you look at all of the financial crises that we've had in the past, I would say a good 75% of them happen near the end of Q3. And that's exactly what the market is pricing in. So I think we have probably a good six months here of good market. Then we're going to have some problems in Q3. And then we're going. the Fed is going to be cutting. So that is kind of my tea leaves for the rest of the year with Fed policy. So ju just to clarify a little bit here, really what you're saying is that from an interest rate perspective, you know, they're going to kind of continue to stay elevated or directionally going up as the market continues to roar and then something's going to break and they're yep. going to be forced to pivot. Yeah. And that's what is being priced in as well. Yes, exactly. And it doesn't have to be um, like a market crash. A lot of people think it's going to be like, the great financial crisis or like the dot-com bust where markets just kept tanking but i'm looking more at like a 2019 issue where there was a repo rumble so there was something that was going on in the plumbing of the system and it could be driven by europe which we'll talk about how messed up europe is it could be driven by china that china is in i think going to have a very deep recession here in 2023 so where that comes from in the global financial system, we don't know. It doesn't have to be stocks. It doesn't have to be Bitcoin, obviously. So, but something I think at the end of Q3 is going to make the Fed pivot hard, uh, like a hard pivot. They're going to cut 1% at one of their meetings, something like that. I would like to point out that this is one of the very, one of the very few shows that, you know, is not predicting China's economy running red hot as they reopen <laughs> from COVID. So another contrarian take from Ansel here. Yeah, well, I can show you the oil chart. I've been showing that to my guys over there on Telegram where oil just keeps dipping. I thought China was reopening and they're supposed to have this huge boom, but oil demand is falling. But anyway, let's get on to the ECB because we only have, what, about 10 minutes left? Yep. On the let's, clock? Let's do it. It's been a good show. Okay, so no clips for this one, but if you bring up slide number 15, this is just a snapshot of their release from this morning. And then actually you can go to the next slide. You don't even have to go to 15. Uh, th We're going to show the next... people the slide. We're going to show the people the slide. <laughs> I made There's it, so we 15. should show it. Yeah, there we go. So yeah, this is what they came out with. They have three different rates that they set. The, the Fed does as well, which is kind of weird. We only think about the target range that the Fed policy moves. But the Fed also sets the re reverse repo rate and the interest on excess reserves. So the Fed has three, but in their statements, they don't talk about all three. You know, they just talk about the Fed funds target range. But anyway, the ECB talks about all three. And let me just read this for the podcast folks. So the governing council decided to raise the three key ECB interest rates by 50 basis points. Accordingly, the interest rate on the main refinancing operations and the interest rates on the marginal lending facility and the deposit facility will be increased to 3%, 3.25%, and 2.5% respectively, with effect from 8 February. Then if you go to the next slide, continuing on with their policy statement, this next one is about um, 
their QT. So the Fed is also doing QT. We didn't talk about that, but the Fed is continuing with their QT. The ECB is raising rates and they're doing QT as well. But the way central banks do quantitative tightening is they don't go out there and sell the securities back into the market, right? So QE is buying securities or it's actually an asset swap. They're not putting these securities back into the market. What they're doing is they're just letting them mature, right? And then they fall off their balance sheet. So that's the way that they do quantitative tightening. But in the ECB's case is they said they're going to do 50, sorry, 15 billion euros per month. Let that fall off their balance sheet but they'll have some extra to reinvest. So they'll roll over some of that. And this was kind of a crazy, crazy action here by the ECB. So reading this highlighted portion, for the Eurosystem's corporate bond purchases, the remaining reinvestments will be tilted more strongly toward issuers with a better climate performance. Without prejudice to the ECB's price stability objective, this approach will support the gradual decarbonization of the Eurosystem's corporate bond holdings in line with the goals of the Paris Agreement. I wanna put this also in context of Powell recently speaking at a central bank conference in Sweden. He did a whole speech on keep the freaking Fed or central banks out of climate policy. This is very dangerous to our overall confidence you know, from people. So, but what does ECB do? They go right forward with their ESG agenda. So any thoughts here on the ECBCK? Oh man. Well, I mean, it's none of this was this this was the trend. Like we know that this is the trend. I see people in the chat are talking about CBDCs like this is why CBDCs are a dead end because ultimately with great power comes the great incentive to try to essentially plan the entire world and this is the problem. It's not, you know, Antel and I are not sitting here laughing at the ECB because we want, you know, carbon to fill the planet and, you know, for the environment to burn. It's that we understand that there is no way that central planners can save the planet. There's no way that these central planners can change the weather. And this policy, all it does is it creates opportunity for people to take advantage of the policy that they create for loopholes, for, for corruption to sink in. It is not going to change the weather. It's not going to drastically change, you know, the ecology, but it might make human beings in, in Europe have less services. It might put some businesses out of business that were actually serving the public. And everywhere where we've seen ESG kind of touch, we've seen worse outcomes. We've seen dirtier grids. We've seen lack of stability, more expensive energy prices. So yep. really sad, honestly, really sad to see this continuation, but not a surprise, not a surprise. This is, it's been forecasted for a long time. And, you know, the Fed is really a breath of fresh air in terms of central banks is one of the few that's trying to stay out of it and objective, but even still Fred, Fed commentators love to opine about this as well. So it's not like the Fed is, is out of this trend as well. Yeah, great comment here by Frosty Flake on YouTube. The e EU will create their own ESG disaster, so Europe is screwed greatly. ESG harms the poorest people, 100%. The only thing they can do by doing this is hurt the economy. You know, they, they're not, this isn't going to like build some great future in a certain direction that they want to shepherd the economony towards, a, you know, a, some utopian future. That can't, that won't work. 
The only thing that's going to come of this is disaster and negative stuff for their economy. And that's one reason why I say that it doesn't necessarily have to be the U.S. stock market crashing this year. It could be something going on with the ECB and the, the Eurozone over there or China, something like that. And the way that it's going with the ECB, I mean, they, they make Powell look really good, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, the ECB just looks completely, totally woke, totally going down the wrong path. And Powell actually looks a little bit based in this situation. So, anyway. Hey, you know, there's a lot of people that are big fans of, of Powell going against the Davos man. So that's, a, that's yeah. a narrative in macro. Yeah, I mean, we've said from the very beginning, do you remember first couple shows that I was on for FedWatch is we were talking about how Powell was a straight shooter. And I, I think he kind of is, but of course, they have the wrong... I mean, I don't know. I think Powell really does think that inflation, quote unquote inflation, was transitory. And he had to shift the messaging to keep confidence in the Fed. I think that's what he had to do. And I think on the downside here, on the other side, he's going to want to rapidly get dovish again. And of course, his handlers, right, the New York banks, they want him to get dovish as well. They don't want the economy to go into recession. They see the, the tea leaves that everybody in macro seeing, and some of the worst takes, by the way, are from these big New York banks, but they see a recession coming and they don't want to Powell to push them into recession. So yeah, I think that Powell is, I mean, if you know kind of his perspective and his background and where he's, who's, who is like pulling his strings, it makes a lot more sense of what he's doing. And with the ECB, oh man, they are just, I think they want to destroy <laughs> they want to destroy the european economy i mean they don't see it that way but i mean they're still being led by by lagarde who uh has a very uh, you know spotted history if you will you know these central bankers they can't go right these central planners they can't go right that is why we bitcoin i cannot stress that enough i'm not that smart but i can at least figure that out yeah Ansel, what's yeah, next? That's all I have, man. Just to mention or just to follow on what you just said. Yeah, we, we follow Satoshi. We don't follow Chairman Powell. Yep, there we go. I got the Satoshi cap. Store it at oh, BitcoinMagazine.com. Great comment here from the chat. Hammersaw says, Powell will be good after he leaves the Fed. Greenspan is a libertarian again, LOL. Yeah, I'm, I think Bernanke has turned into an okay guy too. A little bit more honest out there with what he's talking about. Yellen. Maybe Yellen will turn around too once she gets out of there. What's good is all this newfound wisdom for people who exit office. You know, we need the wisdom when they're in office to to do the right thing. You know, we have Bush Sr. talking about the mistakes in Iraq. Well, it doesn't help us very much in hindsight, Bush. You know, I'm glad you can laugh about it now, but Jesus Christ. True. True. Well, that's all I have. Do we have any closing comments? Ansel, is Bitcoin going back up in the short term before we meet again, or is it going to go back down? I think Bitcoin will be roughly the same price it is today next week. That's All my right, prediction. All right, so we're sitting at 23K right now? Yep. All that, right, let's, well, let's mark that down. That's, that's a good prediction. Let's mark it down. All right, 23K next Thursday. We'll see you guys back here at 1230 Eastern. We are here every single week talking macro, talking Fed, talking Bitcoin, Talking Asia and China and Japan, we talked a lot about that last week. So this is not a Eurocentric, it's not a Western-centric show. This is a global macro show. That's why we care about Bitcoin. 
and you can come meet me and Antle in person at the Bitcoin conference. So come see us May 18th through the 20th. We got to get Ansel his Bitcoin and Markets promo code and go make sure to subscribe to Bitcoin and Markets BTC market update on YouTube. T dot, wait, was it t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets? That's yep. where all those daily live streams are coming out. Ansel. So if you like what you hear, go check that out as well. But yeah, see me at the Bitcoin conference. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Magazine time, y'all. Bitcoin is for everyone, lefties, righties, and the rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naib Bukele, Jeff Dice, Natalie Smolinski, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy from the local Barnes & Noble bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.